Welcome back to the podcast. This week, Dwayne speaks with Christine Monocle from Intel and Jason Burns from Nutanix about a recent blog post titled Journey to the Hybrid Cloud with Nutanix and Intel. You'll learn how we at Nutanix leverage the power of Intel for test drive. It's a good one. So let's join the conversation. Today on the podcast, we're lucky to have two special guests, one from Nutanix and one from our great partner from Intel. Uh, introducing first, Christine McMonagle from Intel. She's here today to talk about her involvement with Nutanix with Test Drive and our journey uh, into the cloud and also back to the cloud. Welcome, Christine. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to have you on. We're I think we have a, an excited topic because usually we always hear about going to the cloud, but then you know some reality set in, and then you find yourself maybe having to move some workloads back for for various reasons. No wrong or right answers, I don't think. And also right. joining us from Nutanix, we have the Jason Burns, all things networking uh, with Test Drive and in our technical marketing department. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dwayne. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about Test Drive. You know, it's something we've been working on here for a while. We've had we've talked about Test Drive a couple times before, but maybe not into great depth. So maybe, Jason, could you just give a quick overview of what Test Drive is for Nutanix? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we started a few years back uh, building demos for people, and we needed a solution that could scale quickly to get demos to people when we couldn't send the customers, uh, send sales teams to the customer. And so we built Test Drive in the cloud as a set of nested VMs that can run a real live Nutanix environment. And so that, that is where it grew from. And it turns out it was really popular. And so you can go take a test drive and try out any of those different Nutanix products um, right there and with a single click. So we we had we built test drive in the public cloud. Um, maybe describe a little bit of the the growth that you saw with test drive. Yeah, well, we got to the point where uh, it started out, and then we were eventually seeing uh, up to a hundred folks a day taking a test drive. So we're, we're going through all these boot camps and customer sessions where we have all these instances that we're spinning up in the cloud, letting the customers and prospects try things out, and then tearing those instances back down once the lab is done. And if you do that a hundred or a few hundred times a day, uh, there's definitely some resources you use to make all that happen in the cloud. Now, at what point did... Intel come into the picture? Was it deciding a cloud and then you wanted something that was backed by Intel? Or was it kind of the notion where we're going here is that obviously things got expensive (laughs) and uh, we needed to control some costs? Was it then decided to bring Intel Intel into the picture? Yeah. Yeah. Dwayne, we, we actually had a growth problem. It was incredibly popular and we wanted to expand and the best way to do that was expanding in the on-premises environment. So we worked with Intel to set up a set of clusters in our on-premises environment in Phoenix. And uh, the great part about that was that with a little bit of network glue and some API changes, 
uh, we're able to run the same workload that we have in our cloud provider in our on-prem environment, uh, thanks to that Intel hardware that we have. And I know, um, Christine, that is one of those areas uh, that, that we wanted to chat about is just, you know, how it makes mm-hmm. it that easy to to really migrate a workload. In our in our cases, I, I didn't do a, a workload migration, but I stood up effectively the same workload in both places and, and it did work just fine. Yeah, and, and having that consistent underlying infrastructure of Intel-based instances in the public cloud and then Intel-based hardware in the on-premise infrastructure makes it easier to use things like Intel virtualization technology to, to move those workloads as needed and, you know, basically meet the needs of, of your business requirements. Now, Intel VT is something that has been around at least as long as I can remember from a virtualization technology, maybe maybe not from yeah. the beginning, but it's been around for a while. What are some of the, the newer enhancements as it continues to develop? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. It's been around for about seven generations now of Xeon processors, but we continue to add in new virtualization capabilities with each generation. And for example, with our our latest fourth generation Xeon Scalable, we've added SIOV and SVM. And um, SIOV or scalable IO virtualization is a hardware acceleration for communications between VMs or containers and PCI Express devices. And it allows you to scalably you know, scale and share direct, direct access to those accelerators across potentially thousands of VMs and containers and provides higher performance than software-only device scaling. And um, will support both integrated and, and discrete devices. And, and it works with the SVM that we also added, which is shared virtual memory, which enables devices and cores to access shared data in the CPU's virtual address space. And that works across both bare metal and VM instances and helps avoid things like memory pinning or having to copy and um, the overhead associated with that. So the benefit of having these two new capabilities together, scalable IO virtualization together with shared virtual memory is that you can operate on the data where it is and that saves memory bandwidth, lowers latency, saves power and time. Um, so we continue to add in new capabilities like this with each generation of VT. It's really an arms race, isn't it? You companies add features to optimize certain areas, and then someone else comes along and gobbles up the savings in some <laughs> other other feature. Just like I know, I know in the test drive area, networking is a, a, a pretty big piece of it, not only from security, but also just to make life easier as we're deploying out new test drives. Maybe, Jason, you could speak to what we're doing on the, the networking side for both the, well, I guess in the hybrid cloud model. Yeah. So, you know, the from the network point of view, we're, we're bringing in customers to the cloud through a proxy that we're running in the cloud. It's a modern app containerized proxy. And this proxy really has a decision to make. 
Is it going to send you to an instance running in the cloud? Or is it going to send you to an instance running on-prem? And the on-prem instance is connected up to the cloud with a standard VPN connection. So using the cloud provider's native VPN and on-premises are hardware VPN. And then what gets everybody um, really secure access between their instances is our virtual private clouds. So the, the cloud provider has a VPC, and then on-prem we use Flow Virtual Networking and VPCs. And the VPC is really like a the walled garden where the customer can take the demo environment, do whatever they want with it, and know that inside that environment it'll be safe and protected. And it, whatever they might do won't spill over to other test drives. So it keeps people safe. No, I think we're kind of in a unique area as as we kind of have set up our hybrid cloud and we have a way to determine where to place you. But Christine, what are you seeing in other customers areas as far as the migration need to go back and forth in today's yeah. environment? Yeah, you know, I think what we're seeing is that a lot of companies started out with this, you know, cloud first model that meant let's try and move everything we can to the public cloud. And I think really that's evolved. And now what we see is most organizations are taking a more strategic approach and, and really trying to develop a cloud strategy and operating model that extends across private, multiple public clouds, edge, possibly managed service providers, and trying to, you know, allow their workloads and their business requirements to drive that migration strategy. And so, you know, they might have a, a myriad of business challenges that they're facing, whether it's rising costs or security or trying to improve their customer experience or business continuity. And it's those kinds of challenges that are that are driving companies to then modernize their workloads. And after they've modernized them, then decide, hey, does it, where does it make sense to place that workload? Maybe it's in one particular public cloud. Maybe it's in a different one. Maybe it's keeping it on-premise in your private cloud or, or running it at the edge. And, and this phenomenon of repatriation, I think, you know, it was viewed as sort of a, a big a big shift, but really it's part of this larger trend of I need to be able to move my workloads around as that workload changes over its life cycle or as other business conditions change. And, you know, it might be cost, might be latency, might be evolving regulations, but really people want to have that flexibility and agility to be able to move workloads as requirements change and things like unified control planes, such as Nutanix Prism or new initiatives from Nutanix, like the Project Beacon platform as a service, all these are designed to make that easier. And when it's coupled with that consistent underlying infrastructure from Intel and Nutanix, it does make it easier to be able to provide that agility and flexibility. I I think with anything you learn over time where things should go. I think That's if I can right. 
earlier in my career with doing lots of VDI is just like that was the the tool we had. So it's like we we push people there that maybe should have never gone there. Um, and so you, you walk some things back and it's probably just a similar story as things kind of involve on the, the cloud side. And even right, like in Intel is helping everywhere on the on-prem side as well with their with their own technologies. I would be yeah. I would be curious to hear though some of um, migrating back um, or even going to the cloud really with Intel and um, I know we we would have had different hardware types moving back to on prem, so there there has to be a core advantage of at least keeping the the CPU families relatively in the in the same generation or same line. Well, you you can actually migrate across generations pretty easily. Um, so that it, that is actually kind of the core value of Intel VT virtualization technologies, making that easier, whether it's just across generations within a cloud or across clouds. And, um, you know, as, as we know, um, there's a lot of different generations of hardware in people's on-premise environments But the same is true of the cloud providers as well. They have many different generations of hardware and um, different instances provide different capabilities. And, um, you know, you're going to kind of end up relegated to that lowest common denominator unless you really take a close look at what the underlying infrastructure is to make sure it's going to meet the needs of your workloads, whether that's from a performance, cost, security, et cetera, perspective. Yeah, for us, you know, we're, we're actually expanding in the on-prem space onto a, a newer generation of hardware from, from what's existing on-prem. And it should be a pretty seamless transition for us. You know, our, our key driver is really density more than anything else. And uh, so these processors that we have, the systems we have, really do uh, allow us to do that. And then I wouldn't consider it even a a repatriation for us. Dwayne, it was more like you said, uh, you learn where to put things over time. And what we saw was our cloud workloads were predictable, stable, and always ran at a pretty steady amount of people in there using it. And so you look at that and you say, why would I run that in a... I say a burst cloud instance, I'll just move that on-prem onto some fixed capacity. And so that's mostly what we did. And we have the ability to also still burst to the cloud. We just had our .next conference recently, and we were able to burst up hundreds of additional instances in the cloud as we need. Uh, So our cloud presence isn't really going anywhere. It's just we're putting the workloads where it makes the most sense. With Intel, oh, go ahead, Christine. (laughs) Oh, I was just saying that's well said, yeah, that it's really part of a larger strategy. It's not a matter of necessarily migrating or repatriating. It's using this intelligent mix of resources wherever they happen to be that are going to deliver the performance and the cost and security that you need. Migrating an EC2 instance back to on-prem can, you know, can be done. Um, in the instance of using NC2 to, if you've placed something on our, I guess our hypervisor running in the cloud and then moving it back to on-prem, that really comes with really no modifications. I think 
I think the hardest part in any type of movement of application is like who, whose job is it to test it after it's been moved? And I've never seen anyone quickly raise their hand for that job. So <laughs> I think as, at least as infrastructure people, if we can provide a, a way to do that, um, I think there's, there has to be a lot of value in it. And it, I guess it just changes the, the process, I guess. Yeah, Dwayne, for us, right, we're not um, moving a workload so much as we're in the cloud, we're deploying native cloud instances and on-prem, we're deploying VMs on Nutanix. And uh, we do the testing up front ahead of time to make sure that every time we write that, it deploys properly in both instances. Uh, you're right with a solution like Nutanix Cloud Clusters. Uh, if, if we use that instead of our native instances, uh, we would have a bit easier of a time on the upfront QA side. So that's something we'll consider strongly for our future test drive architectures. Christine, in as you work with customers and you see kind of things moving around and Intel keeps on delivering new features for VT, do you, do you think more of traditional cloud workloads? If, even if, I don't even know if that's a term traditional cloud, but Workloads like artificial intelligence, which seem to be placed in the cloud just because of horsepower that you can get. Do you think those workloads will also kind of migrate back down as they become like a mainstay application for business? I think it depends on whether you're talking about training or inference. You know, if people are, if an organization's doing something they plan to do just once, say train a large model that is the type of thing they can probably most effectively do by, you know, if you will, renting that infrastructure for a period of time at a public cloud provider. But if it's, you know, more mainstream AI, which is being integrated into all kinds of different apps and workloads that we're already running, those kinds of things people may want to be running on-prem or at the edge you know, inference workloads, especially you can see running at the edge, things like, you know, um, error detection in a manufacturing line or um, image recognition in a retail setting. You know, those kinds of workloads, people are going to want to run everywhere. And, you know, we've been building accelerators specifically for that into the Xeon processor itself so that it can run those kinds of mainstream AI workloads wherever you may want to run it. We call it the democratization of AI so that you don't have to have specialized equipment or a lot of expensive GPUs to do those kinds of AI inference. And I think we'll see more and more of that happening over time. Yeah, what made me think right away was when you mentioned that phrase was that the fact that <laughs> Dwayne does not really want to install GPU drivers everywhere in his infrastructure and maintain them. So if I could, if I could avoid that, <laughs> I'd be a pretty happy camper. Excellent. Then we've we've got the products for you. <laughs> and Dwayne, uh, Laura has recently run a demo of that with an AI chatbot app that was deployed on Nutanix inside containers. And uh, you can go find that on the Nutanix University YouTube channel. So uh, all of that 
training, you know, she's got there a demo of, of how to run it all on Nutanix. Oh, that's fantastic. I Every time I see more demos with chat GPT, I just wonder if my days at Nutanix are numbered, I'll just be you, the voice. They'll just steal my voice and carry on with life. Long as I, long as there's a goof in the system, I still get paid. Then I'll be happy. But <laughs> <laughs> you're willing to be replaced by a by a bot as long as you, the paycheck keeps coming. <laughs> oh, I, I can find something interesting to do with my time. I'm not I'm not too worried about that. Um, <laughs> Very good. With um, I guess as far as the movement, um, was there anything moving back? Uh, it sounds like because our the situation for Nutanix was more of a deployment. Uh, but I guess maybe in in like an average migration, what are other things a customer may have to watch out for as they go back and forth? Either one, Jason or Christine, whatever extra inputs you have on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, from, from my side, right, it's just um, considering your hypervisors at both sides. If you're moving VMs or considering uh, your, your container runtimes, if you're um, deploying a containerized application. Um, but you're really thinking about all that stuff at the planning phase. You know, you're going to say, okay, well, if I have Nutanix AHV in both places, like our example earlier, you know, you, you have a little bit more, um, a little bit less testing work to do there. But if you're, if you've got a mixed environment, it just means you need to plan for and schedule that testing. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges people often run into is just having that visibility and making that assessment up front on exactly, you know, what are the dependencies for a particular application or workload? What are the access requirements? What are the connectivity requirements? And making sure that, that those things are, are assessed up front so that, um, you know, you're not scrambling to to address a gotcha that arises partway through um, making that migration. And then I think it's also sort of setting the expectation with management in organizations that this is not sort of a once and done, that it is an evolving process. And, you know, we don't want to treat it as sort of a, a mistake if something's moved to the cloud and then is moved back. It's more about continuous improvement, improvement and adjusting and learning, as you said earlier, adapting. So setting that expectation up front that it is going to be a, a continuous improvement process, I think, goes a long way to helping the organization um, you know, understand and, and have appropriate expectations. One thing that makes me think about starting, maybe like migrating existing is one thing, but even, even new applications that may generate a lot of, a lot of data, if you start them in the wrong place per se, you're going to be in a real pickle when you go to move in, it's been generating a terabyte a day or something silly. Um, I'm sure it's mm -hmm. happened to other people in the past, but uh, I guess any anything closing around the test drive hybrid cloud scenario that you folks wanted to touch on? I think we've covered a pretty thorough in depth of the total solution. 
Yeah, for my side, I just wanted to say thanks for uh, being a great partner. Thanks to the Intel team for this, right? It really has allowed us to build out the test drive environment and get these demos in front of customers at a level of scale and performance that has been really consistent. Um, what I like to tell people is you can go take a Nutanix test drive and you might not know it, whether you get a cloud instance or an on-prem instance. And if you can tell, uh, come let me know. <laughs> yeah, very good. And thank you as well for letting us partner with you on this and, and, um, and really provide some um, input and, and, enhance your um, your process and you know really we've we've talked here about one specific example here with test drive but these are these are challenges and these are um, activities that that a lot of different companies and organizations are are doing with their like with their workloads and and um, applications as well so hopefully people have been able to take away some some broader applicability for their own environments. Yeah, Christine, for for me, right, um, I've seen a couple Nutanix customers go through this shift as well, where they thought maybe they would be just moving something. And once you get that ability to deploy in the cloud or on-prem, you start thinking about workload placement and flexibility rather than just, oh, I'll move it one time and be done. Yeah, it is. It's an evolution that I've seen our customers go through and have gone through myself. Sounds good. Makes complete sense. Well, thank you, Jason and Christine, for today's discussion. Uh, Folks, you've heard the challenge by Jason. Go take a test drive and let them know where where you were deployed to if you can figure it out. And uh in the show notes, we'll sure to add all the relative information so you, you folks can easily find it. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Dwayne, Christine, and Jason. Folks, don't forget to check out the show notes at next.nutanix.com. And with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week. <laughs>